This week's episode is brought to you by Osses of Switzerland and their new Diora RS Women's Brace Collection. And to talk about the collection and the making of it and Osses in general, I have Kelly Samuelson, who works for them. Kelly, how's it going? Hi. I'm well, I'm well. So it's been a while since Osos women-specific bid has been reconstructed. What spurred the new delve into the women's bib and perfecting it? So our last bib was produced around five years ago, the La La Lie. And I wouldn't necessarily say that the reconstruction is new as we have an extensive R&D program that as soon as we release something, we're already working on the next thing. The Lalalai bib has like a center bib uh, straps that clasp in the center. And we wanted to provide something that was a traditional bib strap. Um, that was like the main concern. But then we wanted to also, you know, Osses is known for its innovation and its technical fabrics and we wanted to bring all of those aspects into a women's collection as a whole and provide that highest end quality um, kit for women. So it's been years in the making, this new bib. Yes. And tell me about the roll bar straps on the bib. So the roll bar construction is a stabilizing strap that goes all the way down connecting to the chamois. So your bib straps aren't connected just to the you know, lycra material fabric at the top, they go all the way down, sewn into the back of the chamois to create a stabilized chamois that moves with your body and not with your bike. And you have a jersey that goes along with these bibs. Yes. So our arrow jersey, which has rock cut sleeves, bonded hem, a little bit of a um, lower front zipper. So if you're standing, you're not getting any gap. Um, but it's, this kit is made for hot summer weather training. It is the highest performance kit that Osos makes for women. That's awesome. So when the kit was being, being made and, and being worked on, what were the goals in mind? Really to provide a race quality kit on the road for any sort of condition in the summer. Um, we wanted it to be cooling, wicking, um, aerodynamic, obviously, super clean lines and comfortable and performance driven. So it sounds like a really awesome kit. And you can head on over to us.osos.com to find out more or visit your local Osos dealer to see the kit in person. And thanks for sponsoring this week's episode. Of course. Thanks for having us. (laughs) And we're back for another episode of freewheeling. I am here with Lauren Rowney. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's good to be back and good to be back talking about women's cycling and racing finally after four and a bit months, I suppose. A lifetime. It feels like an actual lifetime since we've talked about real bike racing. Yeah. Yeah. Usually this part of the season, riders are starting to like gear up towards world championships and, um, thinking about the end of the season but here we are thinking about the start yeah we would have we would be right now talking about La Course and then kind of winding down into San Sebastian and and some more one day races and smaller stage races but yeah we it's the very very beginning of a new season now weird feeling and it started just how we left it back in uh late February, early March with Annemiek from Gluten riding away solo. Yeah. Three times. Yeah. So <laughs> it was, we had three races in the Basque region of Spain took place Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. And I cannot pronounce any of the names of the races. Imac- the first one on Thursday was Immaculine Nefaroco Classico, I'm going to say. <laughs> 
which was won by Anamig Van Vluten solo by 18 seconds. Mavi Garcia of Ale BTC Ljubljana was second, and Anna van der Breggen was third. And then the next day was the Classica Feminina Navarro, which Anamik Van Vluten won solo again by a minute and 14 seconds. <laughs> Elisa <laughs> Longo Borghini was second, also solo by like 50-ish seconds. And Maria Guila uh, Confol... Conf- I'm going to have to know how to pronounce her name because she's really good. <laughs> Confol Yari, I'm so sorry. I can't do it. But from <laughs> from uh, WNT, Sir Sir it's at, it, at this point in the season, like in a normal season, I would have the pronunciations down. But it's been it's been a while since we've talked about specific riders, so you kind of you can have this one. Oh, I get a pass <laughs> this time. You get a pass. And then Sunday was Durango Durango, also won by Anamik Van Vluten by 18 seconds. Anna Van de Bregen second and Elizo Longo Borghini third. So that means that Anna Van de Bregen or Anamik Van Vluten, sorry, Anamik Van Vluten has won four out of four races in 2020. <laughs> so she's got a nice solid lead huh. on the, the world tour points, I think. I mean, perhaps she's. These were all 1.1s, so uh, so far in she's the world still... Rankings, sorry. Yeah, but she, regardless, I mean, going into Strata, which we, we will get into Strata in a minute, but going into Strata, it looks pretty promising for Anamiek Van Vluten. She looks real strong. Did you see the video of her on the very last, like going up the final climb um, in Durango, Durango, a motorbike stalled in front of her? And she like yeah, she almost, almost ran, ran into, into the, the back, back of it. Yeah. She was going so fast. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was pretty incredible to see. And a comment my boyfriend did make to me um, was we're going to see who's really been training hard through this pandemic. Um, and it looks like nothing has changed for Anna Van Vluden. Um, you know, she was interviewed multiple times during it and the fire is still lit in that belly of hers. But, um, yeah, of course, Anna van der Breggen and Elisa Longo-Borghini were right up there again. So in terms of the results, it was what we would normally expect. It was nice to see um, the rider from Ale BTC Ljubljana, Mavi Garcia. I'm not too familiar with her. But that was a really great result by her. And then, of course, uh, the young rider from WNT, Maria. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, it was a good, I mean, obviously, Anamik is really fast, but I love to see Elisa Longoborghini up there. I chatted with her during the quarantine about about Italy and quarantine and how, how she was coping and everything. And so to see her back racing and, and being, she's incredibly strong. I mean, she was fourth on Thursday as well. So she was up there every single day. So that, that's also nice to see. Um, and, um, going into Strada Bianchi, that's always a big race for Elisa. I mean, and it's an Italian race. She's always right up there. So, um, She's got really good form and, of course, Anna van der Breggen. So it's, I think it's still going to be an exciting race to watch. Um, but going into it, yeah, what kind of tactics can you throw at Anna Meek that she's caught on the back foot? I don't know. I think that the what some teams might be able to do, like uh, Bulls Dolmans and maybe Trek Segafredo will be able to do, is throw numbers at her because – I mean, Trek Segafredo, so we haven't seen Ruth Winder race yet since she won Tour Down Under, but she flew into Spain um, a couple days before these races, and she didn't get to race, but she she's going to be at Strada. So we'll get to see Ruth race, see how she's doing. Lizzie Dagnan was, was riding really, really well in the first two races. She didn't race Durango Durango, but she was up there in breakaways and stuff on Thursday and Friday. So Trek has some numbers that they can play. Bulls Dolmans obviously is Bulls Dolmans and they always have numbers. So I think as far as what teams can do to kind of dethrone on a, on a Van Vluten is maybe numbers. It might be a numbers game, but they have to be obviously really careful with that because Who's to say she's not just going to ride away? <laughs> just Yeah, that's the thing is you just don't give her the opportunity to to just ride away. And maybe if, if Sprat is up the road with a really solid um, group 
that might be the best opportunity to see another winner come out of it. Um, unless, of course, Anamik bridges across. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to it. And regardless of the results from this weekend, it will be a brilliant race. It's one of my favorite races to watch to race. So, um, yeah, the World Tour is starting finally. Yeah, I mean, we've all got our fingers crossed, right? It's only a week away, but so much can happen in a week that's kind of like, uh. It doesn't feel real. Um, and also considering everything that's happening in the world at the moment, um, particularly here in Europe, uh, the Belgium government is meeting again to reevaluate our um, reglements, our regulations for the country, Um because the numbers are starting to increase again. And I think that's a trend across the world at the moment. Um, and how does that affect bike racing? Well, that's something that we're going to discuss at length today. Yeah. So pretty much the biggest news that came out of the weekend, other than the fact that we actually had live racing for the first time in a while, women's racing, is that there was some issues with the protocols when it comes to the COVID-19 situation. The day before the race, the race on Thursday, CCC Live announced that they were not going to race Thursday and Friday. The team doctor from CCC Live came forward and was not pleased with the races uh, adhering to the protocol. They weren't sure that it was going to be safe for the riders to race. Um, the cyclist Alliance also put out a statement that they thought that it was a high risk situation to race. And I mean, we knew coming into the racing season, there was going to be, there's so many questions, right? Because how, how can you protect the riders if they're all riding elbow to elbow for hours and hours and hours spitting on each other and breathing all over each other. It's not exactly tennis. You can't, it's not like you can like be socially distant in psych in cycling. And one of the beauties of cycling is that fans have so are so close to the riders, but that also means that in coronavirus times it's, it's a issue. So Mm, there was, there's a lot of questions that came out of this weekend and a lot of talking points that we're going to kind of talk about today because I mean, yeah. Let's start with um, perhaps the fact that, okay, so um, the racing itself, right? Mm-hmm. If we look at the peloton almost as a large bubble, technically speaking, based on what the UCI have come up with is that before every race, each rider, and I'm sure each staff member it is, has to be tested um, so that when they show up to the race, Hopefully, they haven't come across anyone who's infected during that period of traveling from their home to the race, that by the time they're at the race and they're in that bubble, that bubble is essentially a corona-free zone. Mm -hmm. So technically speaking, this is what I was pondering on the weekend when I was thinking, oh, this is ridiculous. Like, they're sitting um, in their team meetings with masks on. They're wearing masks on the stage. There's masks everywhere. There's masks on the start line. But then they throw away the masks and then they race. And like you said, they're sweating and spitting on each other and coming elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder. I thought that makes no sense at all. But in terms of how they probably look at it, and it's the same with football or rugby, is that they are assuming everyone who is on that start line or on the pitch is corona-free. And thus, if you were rubbing shoulder to shoulder and, you know, you did come into contact with someone else's saliva, they wouldn't have corona, right? But the question is between those, it's like getting on a plane, those couple of days that you have a test um, and then you travel, you could actually pick up the virus anywhere between leaving your home and going to the airport. Yeah, so it seems like teams should be getting to to the races seven days before the race. Because, yeah. yeah, so in a perfect world, in a perfect right? world, like, yeah, I know in Australia with our Australian Football League, um, they moved all the teams to the Gold Coast because it was one of the spots that had the least amount of corona, um, yeah, infections, and so they had the money to do that again, it's money, 
So they were able to move all the teams. They, they were in a big bubble. They weren't allowed to come into contact with other people. So it worked and it doesn't look like there's been any infections. But now if we move into the whole money situation of it, how the hell do teams afford to bring riders and staff to an event seven days before? Okay, they do it with the Tour de France, but how do you do that with every race? Not just from a money point of view, but logistics, how um, jam-packed the calendar is now. Um, it's not allowing any room for error, I believe. So one of the things that happened at the race this weekend was that one of the reasons CCC Live pulled out was that as teams were getting to the race and going to to not sign on, but before the race starts, all the team the team director goes to the hotel where the race organizers have set up a table and checks in basically. And mm-hmm. when they check in, they have to give a statement that says all the all the like they have to prove that all the riders were taking tests. And a couple of the teams showed up. The smaller teams, not the world tour teams, but a couple of the smaller Spanish teams showed up and they hadn't tested a single rider. So CCC Live found out that and and pulled their riders from the race because there were multiple okay. teams that hadn't followed any of the protocols. And that's I back the with the race turned away those teams, which I agree with that. Like, obviously if you, if you have a team show up to a race and none of the riders are tested, you're putting the entire season at risk. And Indeed. The, yeah. it's not the world. We're not in world tour races yet. So it, it, it would put strata at risk and more likely the race is right after strata because of just the way that the signs start, you know, the, yeah. So, the problem with that is that the smaller teams who most likely don't pay their riders and are on a budget can't afford to test to the capacity that the UCI has put into place, which is it's about $150 to 200, sorry, euros. We're in Europe, 150 to 200 euros (laughs) per test, which means if they have to test all of the riders and the staff, it's about 2000 euros per race per team. And the smaller teams just don't have that kind of cash flow. Additionally, the UCI have recently made a change where all of the tests have to be submitted by a team doctor, which means that the smaller teams have to have a team doctor on staff and a lot of them don't, or they have a team doctor that's on call for the team, but isn't connected to the team really. Like they're there for any kind of major issue, but they, they don't actually travel with the team and they're not really connected with the team. And now the use, all of the test results have to be submitted by a team doctor. So the teams have to hire a doctor. So that's another problem. So money-wise, I mean, yeah, you factor in all the traveling and the accommodations and having, having to take care of the riders for an extra four days before the race. And then factor in all the testing. And so the... The rules the UCI put in place for world tour racing is different from like a 1.1, but for the Mm -hmm. world tour races, all riders need to be tested six days and three days before the race. And then that needs to be submitted by the team doctor to the UCI. So that kind of adds a whole nother layer, not to mention that all the regions, all the countries have different rules about who can get tested. I mean, so one of the articles that we're kind of talking about right now is was on the cycling tips website. It's a great website. (laughs) (laughs) So Amy Jones wrote an article about these races specifically about how coronavirus has affected bike racing. She was on the ground at these Basque races. And so she wrote from her perspective, what she was seeing. She talked to, uh, Elena Cicchini, who in Italy, you can't get the proper, the PCR test unless you've had a positive blood test and the UCI is requiring the PCR test, but you have to test positive for the blood test in order to get it in Italy. So there's also this problem of different countries having different rules. So there's, there's so many moving parts. It's just insane. Okay, so I had to go to hospital a week ago for a small procedure 
and um, every patient has to get tested two days before. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we're allowed to go into hospital um, if, if we don't have coronavirus. So, I mean, that was free, but the Belgium healthcare system is really good. Um, and it was very simple. So I do wonder, like, I mean, this is just me talking shit, but whether, okay, if teams did show up two days before the race or three days, like if in Belgium we get the test results in one day, in 24 hours they know whether I'm positive or not, why why couldn't they have implemented this system and instead of, you know, riders having to go to hospitals or people, like Eleanor said, in Italy having issues with it, was this something explored? Like, you know, could the UCI have just employed a bunch of doctors or sourced, yeah, the thing is testing facilities, you need to do that through a hospital. Um, again, we're probably going into this a bit too deep, but um, yeah. it's just, yeah, I guess what we're trying to get at is there's a disparity between um, different countries, for example. I think Amy even went in to say, yeah, she spoke about money, how money matters, mm-hmm. um, and that comes down to the budget of the teams because if you're showing up to every single race that they've jammed into the calendar, you're probably looking at in excess of twenty to 30,000 euros. Yeah, and some teams are struggling already with the with sponsors having dropped out and just the general state of the world right now. Some teams are already struggling and then the smaller teams just don't have that money in the first place. (laughs) Yeah. So this is the, the sort of dilemma that we'll be facing, I think for the, the coming months. Um, yeah. For the women's Peloton for the men's, um, assuming while Money is not going to be so much of an issue, but they might come into the same similar problems to the women. I'm not sure. Um, Amy did go into discussing how um, was this a backward step for women's cycling? Yeah. I mean, Amy's article is really, really good. I really recommend that people read it because it's interesting and and she kind of more uh, eloquently goes into what we're talking about and also touches on some other subjects like, for example teams can't reuse bottles anymore. So instead of having all the bottle using bottles on the first on Thursday and then washing them and using them again on Friday, they just have to throw away all the bottles that got used on Thursday, which is it's horribly wasteful, but also I mean it makes sense in coronavirus times, but whew. <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is a, a whole nother issue with coronavirus. I'm only going to touch on this lightly, but I think it's worth mentioning is the environmental impact of all this, those masks, those disposable masks that um, if you go to the website, you look, uh, the photographer that was there with Amy got some great pictures of um, of the race and there are a few images of, you know, riders throwing the masks on the stage, on the side, um, they were told to put them in their pockets, but obviously some didn't. Maybe they would fall out even when you're reaching in to grab some food, for example. So I'm even seeing it here in the streets of Belgium. So we're seeing more waste. Um, I think what was another thing to do with that? The bottles, yeah? yeah. Um, again, that's another expense. And I never realized this because I, I always had the privilege to race on – reasonably well-funded teams but when I helped out a few years ago with some smaller teams um, some of the teams were actually taking bottles from other teams that had been thrown on the ground and re-washing them and using them yeah I don't know if you've seen this before but I've been on a team that did that as well it was gross exactly and it felt so, really weird when you were racing and you pulled the bottle out of your bottle cage and the rider for that team was right next to you and you were like haha Anna, this, this, could be your, <laughs> this could be your bottle. I'm going to just keep this and sell it on eBay one day. Um, <laughs> no, I actually have bottles that I found um, from like, you know, we'll have Trixie Warwick written on it. And um, so bottles are expensive, but again, throwing them away, like that's a measurement that they have to take. Um, 
due to this these new measures, but just in general, everything has to be disposable. And in a world where we're trying to not hopefully move towards a plastic-free environment, it's actually almost impossible. I work in a youth hostel um, for the moment, and I was trying to come up with a sustainability plan to send to all the hostels here in Belgium. And then as I began to write it, I thought, this is impossible now because single-use plastic, that's sort of what's encouraged. Everything needs to be disposable. And um, that's just a whole other question now. And I think uh, Megan, I can't pronounce her last name from the WNT Mm -hmm. team, was interviewed and they took measures – um, really strict measures for their staff and riders and drove from Austria to Italy and she picked up the riders along the way um, to just avoid, yeah, yeah, any contact that you could potentially have through the airports. And she said now, you know, they're, they're, they're even more strict with how often they clean the cars um, and wash everything. And I think we've spoken about in a previous episode how wasteful the sport of cycling is and now because of these new measurements everything's having to be cleaned double the amount triple the amount yeah and that kind of i mean talking about her driving 2000k in two days to pick up riders to get riders to this race i mean that's far that's a lot. That is a lot. But also some teams are going that far with their protocols. Like some teams are only driving to races to avoid flying. And I know that Sunweb has really, really strict protocols in place for who their riders are allowed to see and how much time their riders are allowed out of the team bubble, like even when they're not at races. But it doesn't really make a difference if there's other teams that don't have any protocols in place and are just completely flying by the seat of their pants and not even testing riders. So it's like, exactly. There's no point in the teams. Well, there's no point in racing at all. If there's teams out there that are not following any of the protocols, the UCI has put in place. It's all or nothing. And it's, it's not just cycling because if we continue on like this, where you have teams showing up without testing, um, who's to say they're not in another hotel with other riders or yeah, if they've come from a red zone area, for example, like Spain at the moment or America. Yeah. Um, then who's to say they're not going to infect the people around them. And then that comes to social responsibility. It's not just about bike racing. And I think uh, Elisa probably mentioned this in the podcast that at the end of the day, it comes down to you could be killing your grandparents by not being responsible. I mean, so this, the Cyclist Alliance over the weekend had a webinar with um, their doctor on staff about the COVID measures from the UCI. And there was, a, there was two different webinars for, you know, riders and for team staff and for directors and stuff about what teams can do and also what the protocols are. And even from when we were, when the webinar happened from this race to when the webinar happened, there was changes. The specific change was that everything had to go through a doctor. Um, because before I think the riders were just doing it themselves and submitting it. And now it's a, it's a doctor that has to do it, but there's the kind of different things that rider that teams have to do. There's health screenings that involve a symptom questionnaire that they have to do every single day for five days before a race. There's the tests that we just talked about for six days and three days before, which the team is responsible for. And then there's all these new rules in place for when they're at races. And the it kind of depends on which country they're in because different countries have different guidelines. But... Mm. They're, they're, they have to have their own doctors. They have to have single rooms. The, they have to have a, a floor designated. The races have to have a floor designated to each team. There's no group dining anymore. So if, I mean, Lauren and I have both raced before and we've been in the, <laughs> in the dining room with all the teams and that's one of the best parts it is one of the best parts <laughs> I agree it's really funny to see like which tables are laughing together and which tables are just like completely silent 
Um, I like that game too. (laughs) (laughs) And then every team has to have one empty room that's a quote unquote isolation room for anyone who, I don't know, fails a test or is coming in. For example, like Ruth, Ruth flew in for these races from the United States and she wasn't allowed to see the team at all or interact with the team until she'd had her test done and it could had come back with negative results. So she like was alone in a room waiting for her test results. Um, so there's that. And then, I mean, the cyclist Alliance is also trying to put in their own, put their own things in place where they're doing their rating races. So there's, they're trying uh-huh. to start like a stoplight system to kind mm-hmm. of help the teams decide if it's a good idea to do a race or not. Um, which is really interesting. I mean, it's cool that they're, they're trying to help. Um, but it just, from reading this article, uh, I just don't know how racing is going to go. It's all, it's so up in the air because it's like, yeah, there's all these protocols in place, but if you saw any of the photos or the videos from the race, there's still fans swarming the sides of the roads. And Anna Van Vluten could have comment. Yeah, like yeah. In the video we were just talking about with the motorbike, like Anna Van Vluten could have like put her arm out and like touched all the fans on either side. So there's stuff like that. And, and like Amy pointed out in the article, all the riders still lean their bikes up against the barriers where fans were just leaning over their handlebars where they're about to put their hands and then touch their faces. And there's just so much that can go wrong. Well, it's just the sport of cycling. Okay. If you're playing a tennis match, you never come in contact with the fans unless you choose to sign an autograph, for example. Mm -hmm. But with cycling, the beauty of the sport, and we can all recognize this is the fact that it's one of those sports, one of the only sports in the world where you come up so close to the people that you admire and the people that you watch on television and you know, part of the sport is lining up on that mountainside for hours waiting just to get a glimpse of, you know, Annemiek van Vluten flying up the mountainside and you want to get in their face and yell and cheer. And um, you could still see the fans doing that, but, of course, wearing mouth masks. But, again, um, with social distancing, how does that work? And what you touched on before was it's it's country to country. It's it's not like we're over in the U.S. and it's one continent um, that's one country. Yeah, we're racing on the continent of Europe, but every country has different regulations. And they just announced in Belgium that, like, there won't be, at this point in time, there just won't be fans on the side of the road. Um, that's not going to be allowed because unless people are, are really adhering to the meter and a half um, between each other and between the riders – that's just not going to happen. So um, it's it's sad in that respect. It's nice to have racing start again, but it's going to look very different to obviously what we're used to. I mean, I think we've all somewhat adjusted to this new kind of world of wearing mouth masks everywhere. Um, but, yeah, the sport of cycling, this was just a little test run this weekend, but we haven't even come to the big races yet. And who's to say you're going to be able to keep the fans at home when the Tour de France starts? Yeah, I mean, that kind of that kind of moves us into the other thing that we, we wanted to talk about on this episode, which is that um, there was a men's race in Romania that just happened this week. And when the race was going on, Romania hit their record high of cases. And so... The race has ended, and some of the riders that raced in Romania from, say, Bora Hansgro and Israeli Startup Nation are getting ready to go to Strada. And now, because of the ca- because of the number of cases in the country, anyone coming from Romania into Italy isn't allowed in. So the Italian government has blocked anyone coming from Romania until August 11th, which is means they'd miss Strada and Milan San Remo and with cases now going up in Spain before we started recording we were trying to figure out is it going to be the same for Spain because Spain is also now having a huge jump in cases so (laughs) 
we still have a week, like we said, we still have a week until Strada, but so much can change in a week. And it's, if that's happening from, from people coming from Romania into Italy, then what's going to be the case for all the riders coming from Spain into Italy? Because unlike for these two men's teams that have a, a ton of other riders that they can call on to do these races. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, I assume Gregor Molberger who won the race would be on Bora Hansgrohe's team for Strada. I obviously don't know that, but uh, it might be biasm because he's biasm. Is that a word? <laughs> it might be bias. It might be bias. It is now. It is. Yeah. Um, I say it's a word because he's engaged to one of my friends. So I just am like, oh yeah, he's great. You should let him do whatever he wants. Um, <laughs> but he, but he won this race and he's a really strong rider. So you'd think that he would be going to Strada, but now he can't. <laughs> So there's that. And like, yeah, the, there's now all these with cases rising in multiple places. It's, there's this whole new drop of news that we might be getting this bad news that we might be getting this week. And well, I think Abby, to be honest, uh, if we're going to see anything happen, like there's going to be any lockdowns again, it's going to be after the summer vacation because I know a lot of people who have jetted off to different parts of Europe. Um, everyone is out living life like before. Yeah, okay, we're still going around with mouth masks. But, um, you know, I did read an article that a lot of these mouth mask people are wearing, like unless it's really sealed around your face, um, you know, they can still – be particles of saliva that are coming through and hence why the the numbers are going up now i think it's people are out and about living life and some people are acting like corona never happened and that's just a fact so i think um we're going to see numbers really increase in the next couple of weeks particularly those people who've gone away to foreign countries and then are returning to their home country yeah and that's definitely the fear here in belgium at the moment um, so yeah, I, I think Strider will be okay, but again, the, the measurements that they're taking not to allow riders who are coming from Romania not to race is the right decision. But then you have riders returning from Spain to the UK in the women's race who are going to be quarantined for 14 days, but then riders are going straight to Strada. So yeah, there's, um, so now the the yesterday it was announced that anyone returning to the UK from Spain has to quarantine for 14 days. And like I'm supposed to go to Latvia on Thursday and I have to quarantine for 14 days because of the case rises in Spain. And Spain is decreed like in the red or mm. as Tom says in the no no zone or something like that <laughs> he said something really <laughs> funny i don't remember what it was but yeah so now there's that that does institute like a new situation because yeah every country has different rules and stuff but but yeah we're in europe where where it's just a ton of countries and racing is over all of these countries and yeah mm. so you seem a lot more optimistic than me <laughs> Basically, um, people are still going to be riding on Zwift. Yeah, we're going to keep <laughs> and virtual if all else Zwift fails. racing. <laughs> but the Zwift are having a UCI World Championships this year or next year? I don't know, but I I don't know how true this is. So I'm I'm really curious if anyone from Zwift listen to this listens to this podcast. But I am under the impression that none of the riders who raced the virtual Tour de France had to prove that the weight that they put on there is true. Ooh. So that if that's the case, spark. then I, then we got some, some negative reviews on the Velo chat, Velo uh, club chat about how cycling tips doesn't take virtual racing seriously. And my response to that is if they're not even checking, if the riders are being honest about their weight, which is a big deal, <laughs> like that changes everything, then no, I'm not going to take it seriously. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, but as far as I know, that's been one of the things with Zwift Racing since it began. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, how can you monitor it? Like, you'd have to call in, like, you'd have to FaceTime with a Zwift person and, like, show them the scale that you're standing on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure someone from Zwift could, could weigh in on this, but, um, again, like... I'm not one to comment on this e-racing stuff because I'm not really into it um, myself. So I can't say, but I do have friends who are really into it. Um, a few rowers actually who during Corona got really into the Zwift racing. And one of my friends was complaining a lot that, you know, he would take screenshots and send it to me of, someone putting out like 10 watts per kilo when he was putting out six <laughs> for, you know, I don't know yeah. how long a man can push that for, but he's a really strong guy. And I was like, dude, that's Zwift racing. Don't get so caught up on it. It's not for me. I was like, it's not real. And he's like, yeah, it is. It is a thing. <laughs> and so, um, I'm like, you're going to the Olympics for rowing. Have some perspective. Yeah, you're racing against someone you can't even see. Come on. <laughs> that's so funny. Sorry for the real like keen Zwift racers who are probably listening to this, but like I just can't get into it. I mean, both <laughs> of us have said multiple times how much we love Zwift, mm -hmm. but Zwift racing is a different entity of itself. And also I, coming from us who like we raced professionally on the road. So I think it's like a, we have a little bit of a more cynical view of, of e-racing than someone who like has never raced on the road. If that makes sense. Yeah. And like we've discussed before and we're going totally off tangent, but not at the same time. Yeah. What I love is, is the whole atmosphere around being a bike racer and being at a bike race from like, like we said, sitting in the dining hall, talking smack to people. If you had a bad day, like going to the dessert table and secretly taking dessert and hoping your DS doesn't see that you've, that's usually a sign that I've had a bad day. Um, and then <laughs> quite often I have memories of meeting Nettie Edmondson at the dessert table during Turrigan the one year and we were like just nodded at each other yeah it had been another bad day but um yeah and just being elbow to elbow like I I've never suffered more than in bike racing because it's been a part of that peloton and I don't know. It's, it's something different, but with Zwift, like I enjoy the training. Um, I haven't done it for a while now because the weather's been good, but, um, the training aspects, I can see it's a very, very valuable tool, but I just, I'm not into the racing like at all. Yeah. And I hate time trials and I just look at it as time trialing because I can't really see the people. So I mean, it's basically a time trial. Yeah, it is. So anyway, the last back to what we're Back to what about. we were talking about before. <laughs> um, at the end of this article about the races in the Basque Country, a question was posed, which I am really curious what you have to say about this. So with a global pandemic going on, should we be wasting tests so that we can race bikes? Like how important is it actually? And I have opinions, but first I want to hear what you have to say. <sighs> I think it comes back to, yeah, okay, I had this discussion with, again, um, a couple of rowing boys the other day, and um, it got a bit heated, the argument, because I guess my opinion has changed in the past few months, and there'll be listeners who go, okay, <laughs> she's been a bit cynical, but I, at the end of the day, I said, sport is really a privilege, Um getting paid to do sport is really a privilege and I understand how hard you work. I've been there myself, but at the, we survived the pandemic without it. Um, and so maybe just think about that when you complain about stupid things to do with the sport and how you can't race at the moment or something like that. I said, people have been dying um, from this virus and not just, that but you know the fact that all these people are out of work now who knows what the whole global economic outcome is going to be of it um so wasting tests on people going to races yeah i mean if people in italy can't just test on a normal basis but 
yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm a bit tongue-tied with this one. It's it's hard. This is a really hard question, yeah. And I I agree with everything you're saying, but I also, like, personally, I think absolutely if we can find a way to race we should race because if there's no racing that's so many people out of work like that's so many teams that will probably fold cycling even before the pandemic is barely hanging on like monetarily there's only a handful of teams that are successfully being run and so as far as like is it should it be a priority no but if there's a way to make it possible, yes. Also, we need a little bit of norm normalcy. I think we've talked about this before, but we need like a little bit of normalcy in our lives. And for us, bike racing is is normal. It's something that has been part of our lives for years and years and years. And and I think the the riders need it. I mean, it's their job for one. So, like, I live with a rider. He is going a little bit crazy, not being able to race. And I was talking to another, uh, wag, wag, uh, wife and girlfriend of a rider. And she was saying, <laughs> she was saying that like, she's on her last thread because her husband is just like s losing his mind, not being able to race. And it's their lives. Like it's more than just a, a job. It's a job. Yeah. But it's their lives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it's a really, really tough question, like you said, but I think, if, if we can find a way to make it happen, then it's saving people's careers because there's so many people who it's not even just the riders, right? It's also the management, the swan years, the people who buy the plane tickets for the riders, like everyone behind the scenes. It's the, it's every, all the race organizers that run races and everything like that. Like it's a huge, it's way more than just, you know, the guys that you see battling it out on the mountains and the girls the girls mostly because that's what that's what we're here for but yeah there's there's a lot more that goes into it and and it is I do understand the issues that go along with trying to start up bike racing especially like we were just talking about people traveling over borders and potentially bringing things into making things worse and the the impact of having an entire peloton two whole pelotons swarm on a tiny town in Italy next weekend is like, that's yeah, very questionable, but I don't know. It might just be that I'm biased cause I'm married, mar almost married to a cyclist whose livelihood relies on this stuff. But I also yeah, just, yeah, but, but it's also like, it's a sport that's been around for a really, really long time that people love. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably love cycling, <laughs> love bike racing. And or you just love the sound of Abby's voice. Oh God, I really hope people aren't listening to it for that. <laughs> but no, that's that's a very valid point. But it's all it's all perspective, right? Yeah. Because if you asked a member of the public, and I would yeah, they would turn around and say, Well, why does it matter? Like yeah. but again, you've just highlighted all the reasons why it matters to every single person who's involved in that sport. And cause I'm not directly linked to it personally anymore. I don't feel it as much. So it's not affecting me as much. We, we can't talk about cycling as much. So I don't enjoy that. Obviously I can't watch the sport I enjoy to watch, but it hasn't directly impacted me. So I, I can't feel the actual effects of it. And that's why I can sit here and go, well, does it matter? I don't know. It's sport. But again, as my friend did mention, sport is there, I hope, to inspire people, yes, to provide entertainment, um, to encourage people to ride bikes. Um, those are all good things that come from it. I do want to say, though, that in hindsight, maybe we could have spaced the calendar a bit more, had fewer races, and then we wouldn't be having to ask all these questions of whether, you know, traveling from this race to this race is going to be a risk. There would have been more adequate time to sort of test and make sure that everything is, is okay. Um, less questions. Also, like, that's just the sport of cycling is that riders do go from race to race, but 
Um, I think it's nice that they tried to include everything that the UCI thought to be important, but in hindsight, I think we could have just had a really small season. Mm -hmm. Back to the days of where we just had five or six World Cups. Um, And yeah, okay, people are are home more and racing more, but that would have been a good opportunity to to ensure that everyone was safe and there wasn't the stress of trying to organise um riders testing yeah that are going from spain to italy now and there's one week between the race yeah um not to mention the money that goes into it too so i don't know if i'm wrong there but just from this little discussion we've had now if i if i think about it maybe that could have been like the medium ground between having racing and not having racing i mean i think we can both agree that the uci maybe isn't handling the situation the best because the calendar is one thing, but also putting all of the responsibility on the teams to make sure that all the riders are tested and all the protocol is adhered to. The UCI hasn't taken any responsibility there as far as I have, as far as I know, they, they kind of just went, okay, it's up to you. Mm. So, and for the race prom- promoters also, like the, exactly. the race organi- yeah. organizers are all on their own as well. And at the end of the day, if cycling caves, the UCI also caves. So you'd think that they would be trying a little bit harder to help teams along in this process. And To be honest, though, come on, they've had four and a half months. They've had more than enough time to figure something out. Um, and the fact that we've just had the first race of the season and there are so many questions around it. And I really do recommend that everyone listening to this heads over to cycling tips and reads Amy's article. Cause it's really good and gives you, she just, um, she writes really well and she outlines everything we've discussed, um, eloquently. So I do, do suggest that. And then yeah, Abby and I always welcome your comments and, and questions, but more so, yeah, your comments on the topics. Yeah. Um, yeah, let us know what, what you think. Yeah. And we don't, I mean, obviously we're both, like, we want the best for the sport, but we also want the best for the world. So it's all like, there is no right answer, I feel like. No, there's not. And again, it all comes back to perspective yeah. because – you know, like you'll have people uh, maybe who are cycling enthusiasts um, listening and saying, well, I can't, yeah, my friend is pregnant at the moment and um, all the, the restrictions that are in place for her just to have her baby. Meanwhile, you've got professional athletes jetting all over the world, yeah, um, continuing on with their business. So it's just, yeah, it's a tricky one. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the answer. I'm really happy that racing's back, but again, um, I just want the best for the riders um, and the staff and the general public. Um, maybe again, there, there should be more education for if there are spectators, what sort of procedures they need to follow. Yeah. I mean, really excited that racing is back with like a healthy dose of concern. Yeah. And going back to the racing, the reason why this podcast even exists is it's just so great to see that all the women were so excited to be back at the races. And, um, yeah, Annemiek van Vluden was just brilliant on the weekend, mm-hmm. um, really showing why she won those rainbow stripes last year in September. So um, women's cycling is fine from that, that respect. The riders have obviously survived the pandemic and come out um, – with some form, I think there'll be some people who probably got a real shock to the system, but, um, yeah, the season's going to be super interesting. Yeah. Really, really excited for Strada next weekend. I mean, we, this is, we've been talking for almost an hour now about everything. And so we can't even really get into our Strada predictions, but unless you want to, I mean, it's, it's going to be such an exciting race, I think. And I think Anamie Van Vluten is really hard to beat, but Anna Vandenbergen's out there too, and she's a pretty good rider. We didn't even get to see Cash and Iwadoma race this weekend, and she's 
been on the podium of Strata like every year for the last five years, but never won. So, and that's one of the races that she really does. That's like one of the races on her bucket list. I think she wants to win, Yeah. but all the riders who show up to Strata just love that race. It's so much fun. Uh, it's such a hard race. It's a beautiful race. I think the conditions are really going to play into it because usually when they're racing this race, it can be actually freezing cold and wet. And now we're in the middle of summer in Italy. Yeah, it's a heat wave. Um, <laughs> exactly. So it's going to be quite different. I mean, the ones who've just raced in Spain have had a nice taste of the heat. Um but again, like Annemiek van Vluden showed just how strong she is and how hard she's been training, which no one doubted, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like that's that's always an interesting thing. I, I do wonder when teams go into their team meetings, what the meetings, like I'd love to just sit on Trek Segafredo's meeting and, and listen to their game plan, like – I mean, she is the rider to beat, isn't she, at the moment? Maybe we can uh, get was... Taylor Wiles to just secretly record Ina, Ina's pre-race meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that would never, ever, 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 ever happen. No, that would end but poorly for everyone involved. <laughs> I would I'd just like, like to sit in and say, look, I, I won't write anything down. I won't record it, but it's just for my own personal interest. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Anna Vanderbregen, when I was racing was pretty much the rider to beat at that time. Um, and Anna Meek was super strong, but in 2016, she hadn't had like that breakout year. Um, she was in a new team and yeah, so it's been incredible to watch her go every year from strength to strength. Yeah. Um, but she's just, uh, formidable force i i couldn't imagine what it's like to race against her no i mean it's gonna be man epic season upcoming so fingers crossed and there's other news but this was the main this was the main bulk of what we wanted to discuss and man i think we did it i think we did it and we're gonna really enjoy your comments and feedback on it um, and how you think the season's going to unfold. I think you did have something as well you wanted to talk about. The other big news that just dropped is that Lotto, um, or sorry, Yumbo Visma is starting, potentially starting a women's team next year. And they're looking at Voss or Van Vluten as their top rider, which Van Vluten has said in the press that she's, she's looking for a team. That was prior to the news that Middleton Scott will continue for two more years, so maybe she'll she'll end up staying. And with the CC with CCC in question, it's not confirmed that CCC Live is folding or that they're looking for a new sponsor yet because they're not connected to the men's team. Um, so we don't know if that team is continuing or not yet. But yeah, there's rumors about Voss and Yumbo Visma, so that's kind of a new another new interesting development in the world of women's cycling. And I think because it's July, if this is something that's really going to go ahead in the next few weeks, we're going to be hearing more from it. And I'm sure um, Jose has lots to say about it on um, Twitter. Oh yeah, definitely. Make sure you're following her. Yeah. Um, But Van Vluden, I think as long as Mitchell and Scott is around and they've got a sponsor secured and there's money, She'll stay. She loves that team. Like mm-hmm. it's home for her. Um, and unless, yeah, I, I don't even know if it's money so much for for Anamik, to be honest. So uh, that will be really interesting. But to see another big team coming into the mix would be really cool. Yeah, I mean, Van Vluten has been. She's been on that team long enough and won on that team long enough that she's she's like undisputedly the leader. Yes, exactly. And that, that's a big thing when you are making a decision when you're going to change teams and you're in a position that she's in. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And Voss is in a little bit of a different situation just because we don't know about CCC Live. But I would assume that if she was going to go to Yumbo Visma, which is a Dutch team, that she would have a good amount of freedom there as well. Also being Voss. 
So exactly. Yeah. So we'll keep, we'll keep our eyes on that and talk about it probably more in our next episode. But for now, it was really nice talking to you, Lauren. Yeah, it was nice talking about bike racing, even though it was mainly around coronavirus. But <laughs> I mean, there's not, not much we can do about <laughs> not talking I'm about really, it. I'm really, really looking forward to our chat after Strada Bianchi. And um, Abby, I believe we'll be able to watch part of the race. Yes. Yeah. Keep an uh-huh. eye on on Twitter because we'll we'll tweet if there's. Uh, news about live it's all it's usually always live so i'm assuming that they're going to be live again plus there's the new rules from the uci about races world tour races having to be live so um keep an eye on yeah the cycling tips twitter and uh also keep an eye on the website for a preview of strata and riders to watch and stuff awesome cool all right have a good week thanks for joining 